Welcome to the Echo Chamber. I am Ez. And I'm Jade. And today we're going to be talking about our experiences with therapy and um, mental health. Yeah, mental health generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had some news yesterday. <sighs> I did. I did have some news, which I haven't even fully processed. Um, but so I've been in therapy consistently um, since January. Um, so I've gone every week, every Monday, um, and I've seen the same therapist and I found out yesterday that she's leaving and next week is my last session with her, mm. um, which was just like mad, like proper mad. Mm. Um, I've been in, in and out of therapy for my whole life, um, literally since I was about six or seven I've been in and out of therapy and I've never it's never been successful um so this is the only time I've had kind of a successful experience Mm. with therapy so it's just it's mad Mm. like it feels very weird um and this year in terms of like my process of healing and understanding myself and just functioning better um, I've seen the effect it's had. Like therapy mm. has really, really helped me to understand myself better, understand my patterns, understand how to deal with those patterns. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's mad. It's like it's very mad. Boy, when you sent me the voice note, I was very like, it made me think um, about myself. Like, and I had afterthoughts of like myself. So like, imagine if my therapist decided that she was leaving or. Um, even just your support network and your support system, like when things begin to erode and you have no control over it, like how how lost you feel Mm -hmm. and then how much we place our, um, I was gonna say sanity, but it's not sanity. Um, I think like our healing Mm -hmm. and also just our togetherness in the hands of other people. um, is scary and it's, it's, yeah, it's scary. It's unfortunate as well. But I think we touched on this um, on the way here last week. Okay. Um, on the train when we were talking about... So, so I'll get a bit more into kind of the process of me finding this therapist in a little bit. But um, not yesterday, so not last night, but last week and the week before, um, my therapist cried in the session. Um, Not that bare barling but just small small tear um and it was just it was really a out of character she's normally quite together like she's a road man like i don't (laughs) i don't know what road she's run but i know that she's (laughs) i know that her spirit is she's just she's not she's not out here crying is it um but i so for her to cry it was like i was really taken aback Mm. um and we spoke about and it was just, it was really just interesting for me seeing her in that light and seeing her vulnerability to that extent. Um, and obviously now knowing that she's known for a while now that she's going to be leaving, it makes sense. Um, it makes a bit more sense why she was so emotional, mm. why she's been so emotional um, and been so triggered in our sessions. But I feel like, and she's very good and she's very professional. So after the first week of her 
perspective. She came in the next week and we addressed it in the session and she was just very much that she took it to supervision and her supervisor was like she was just kind of going through like she was kind of beating herself up for I can't believe I've been this unprofessional or whatever um and she was just like I like you like as a person mm. like I have a personal relationship and connection to you mm-hmm. um which I don't necessarily have with all my clients so it is sometimes more difficult to keep mm-hmm. those boundaries um and I was like, and I respected her for bringing it back into the space and for like confronting it head on in the space. But also, I feel like it was just basically she's not my mum mm-hmm. or my auntie, mm. um, and I don't want her to be my mum or my auntie. Um, even though there have been times where she has kind of fulfilled that role, mm. that kind of maternal love care interest in what I'm like just yeah just the kind of things I would I wish I kind of had from my mum and not to say I don't I don't but yeah um so yeah she she fulfilled that role and I feel like there is that on the way here last week I remember us speaking briefly about like understanding the importance of our therapist role being separate from kind of the nurture and care that we expect to get from family and actually something that my therapist has been amazing at doing is supporting me to accept that maybe I don't have that um so her job is not to give me that but to accept this is my life um maybe I haven't I didn't grow up in the most nurturing environment or yeah but that's just who and like dealing with my reality Mm. and I think I feel like something she's been very good at is like helping me to stop making excuses stop making excuses for myself um but actually just deal with my reality as as it is that this is your this is your life Mm -hmm. and you've got to learn to manage your life as things are um so yeah but but then having said that I do have a connection with her and I don't think our sessions would be anywhere near as effective without Mm. that connection and relationship so yeah it's mad I feel like we had a conversation um I feel like it goes back past last week where you first mentioned um I think you told your therapist something and you felt like you could see the disappointment in her face and um then we then you started talking about um the boundary mm-hmm. like between the therapist and you um as the person receiving therapy and i've been thinking ever since that conversation and um i feel like i've definitely noticed in myself that ther- my therapist for me and therapy generally for me was almost me seeking some kind of love nurturing and somewhere where I feel listened to. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, I feel like speaking to you revealed that for me. Um, I look forward to my therapy sessions every week, but I feel like it's definitely a domain where I just have like a big outpouring of all of my thoughts, all of my rationale. Um, I'm almost seeking advice mm-hmm. from my therapist um, but it's not advice like 
professional mm-hmm. advice or professional counsel or professional guidance. I'm almost seeking maternal, mm-hmm. like loving advice and like someone to care about my experience, basically. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about therapy and maybe more specifically my therapist um, and our relationship and what I need to do going forward and how therapy is serving me because again like so you voice noted me yesterday um, when you left your session and was like Jade like my therapist is leaving like I can't believe this and as much as it's like it's sad and it's you can track your progress and it's thanks to her guidance and her professionalism um, as you've said, your relationship with her has grown and there's a connection there. Mm. Um, and I know the connection I have with my therapist. So it's like, so are you just going to fall in the bin <laughs> if your therapist decided mm-hmm. to leave or if she, you know, moved on with her professional life or whatever, you know? Um, so I feel like I'm at a bit of a crossroads now in my own journey with therapy um, and even just confronting my own issues mm. with what sent me to therapy in the first place because it's, it's unhealthy relationships basically mm-hmm. and unhealthy feelings like internal feelings um but yeah yeah mm. so i'm a little bit aware of the fact that we're both in therapy and kind of have started this conversation from that standpoint mm. um but for people listening there may be people that have got no like i still know that i remember i was saying i was talking to one guy i was like yeah like <laughs> He was like, yeah, can we meet on Monday? I was like, yeah, that's fine. I've got therapy in London Bridge. He was like, cool, cool, cool. Then, like, later on, he was just like, okay, cool. When I met him, he was like, oh, how was physio? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like what? He was like, what, what's wrong with you? I was like, no, like, I've, I see, ther- like, a therapist, like, for my mental health. Um, and it was just mad. Like, it was so mad because even me saying it, I've tried to normalise it. Because yeah. it is normal. For me, it's very much normal. Mm-hmm. Um so I tried to normalise it and like so the way he received it was very like it was like okay cool like he gets what I'm talking about yeah. then the awkwardness of having to like be like nah you know it's not proper not mm. physio um, and I'm aware that for a lot of people particularly in the black community um, even though like mental health is becoming more commonly spoken about I feel that therapy is still not normal and there's still a lot of people that are like you are like you're in therapy mm. Um so yeah so should we explain a little bit about our journey in terms of like how we decided to start therapy and what it's been like kind of more practically yeah 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 um I, I, I don't mind going first I know <laughs> <laughs> um so honestly I sought out therapy um, from the summer of 2018, early, very early summer, 2018. So at this point, I was um, embarking on the last leg of my master's degree. Um, this was thesis writing time. So as much as it takes like a degree of discipline and whatever to like do a master's generally like a mm. taught master's now I'm coming to do the thesis which takes another level of discipline because you're 
you're disciplining yourself to sit down and get on with your work basically and to research a topic that as much as you might enjoy or you might think is interesting some days you want to kill yourself Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about whatever it is that you're looking at academically um on top of that um I was working in a role that I wasn't I had my own issues around the role that I was doing um yeah I had my own issues around work feeling like shame basically mm-hmm. um about the job that I was doing um but that's another issue that I'll talk about another time perhaps um but the the role like my work schedule was perfect for somebody that would like would be proper disciplined mm-hmm. so I was working evenings only like four hours in the evening four days a week um four and a half hours four days a week sorry um and therefore what it did was it gave me time to wake up at a decent time have breakfast maybe work out or do whatever and then spend a lot of my day studying <coughs> And then after studying, um, getting ready for work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I noticed that I was finding it very hard just to have a simple, very simple, very basic routine, such as, as I said, wake up, work out, eat breakfast, shower, get on with your work, study-wise, and then go to work, come home, go to bed. I was finding it very hard to just do that. Um, and then... Yeah, um, the background to all of that was a relationship that came to a close in around the May, I think it was. So I was with somebody for nearly five years. Um, That relationship was very like, it was, yeah, it was very up and down, but generally um, I can describe it as toxic, um, highly toxic. I think that black women don't confront toxicity enough. Um, and the experiences of black men and black women, um, especially working class black men and black women are very like, not normal basically like our existences are not normal so I was in a relationship with somebody that could just phone me one evening and be like rah I got stabbed Mm. or rah I've stabbed someone Mm -hmm. or I'm going to like I'm going to beef like I'm gonna go and stab somebody and I'm there like trying to stop you from doing this and for me it was an internal conflict throughout the whole relationship like this doesn't fit in with my values or the things I believe in on a spiritual level. And then I love this person. And then at all at the same time, this is not, not normal to me. Like mm. the first time I saw a gun, I was maybe, I was at seven. Mm. Um, like I've seen certain things, I've experienced certain things like whether it's prison, whether it's domestic violence, drug addiction, like all of these things have been part of my life. Um, from my inception basically yeah from Mm. my inception um and as much as I've tried to live a life or I have successfully lived a life if I'm gonna be very honest with myself um I have successfully lived a life that that very much veers away from those kinds of things so like I'm speaking now as somebody that like I have a master's yes um, (laughs) yes as much as I 
don't really, I have my own problems around my job and whatever, which as I said, I'll perhaps explore another time. But like I work I work for um, a corporation, like a government, like corporation essentially, which really and truly like there's nothing for me, like even to get into that establishment is an uphill journey in itself kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I can be set for life if I want to be. I could, yeah, I can be if I want to be. Um, I'm choosing to, like, um, pursue creative endeavours. So even that is, like, such a... I'm I'm on par with my middle class counterparts, basically. You're Mm -hmm. even pursuing creative endeavour. You're working (laughs) part-time. You have a master's, like, you know. Um, But the backdrop to all of that is a lot of, like, of the grittiest things that black working class people um, live through and experience. And I felt like all of that trauma just came to a head basically at a time where I needed to be strong, which was when I was writing my thesis. And so I decided to take up therapy. Um, I was doing like a book club with my friends and we read a book by a black author. This woman is a Londoner and she wrote a book about domestic violence. And um, she was lovely enough to come down when we, so we were doing like, we, we they still do the podcast um, attached to the book club. Um, and she came down for the podcast, for the recording and we met her and we were asking her questions and she was a lovely woman and she added us all on Facebook after. Um, and I really enjoyed her book. And- What book was it? Um, it's called Loving, Loving the Brothers. Okay. And um, it's about three brothers and they're dating women and um, they're all different. The brothers are all very different. And mm. the women, well, two of the women are experiencing toxicity in two very, that look like very, very different. Okay. Um, so one of them is experience, experiencing abuse and toxicity in her relationship. And it's like um, religion is being used as mm. the weapon, basically. Okay. And then there's the other um, side of the coin whereby it's literally like the woman is getting punched up Mm. and the man is out here cheating Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing rubbish. So um, we spoke to her and then she added me on Facebook and stuff. And um, I had a situation with my ex um, maybe like two weeks after meeting this woman. And he basically, he did something that it wasn't physical or anything like that, but my emotional reaction to it, he might as well have punched me in my face, Mm. you know? Um, As in like the crying and the anguish that I felt inside at what he did. So we were not together at the time, we weren't actually together at the time, but he um, basically, you know, you can um, use your phone via the car, yeah. So like you connect via Bluetooth yeah. and whatever. I've innocently connected my phone to Bluetooth in his car. Um and I'm playing music and we're talking. It was like the new J. Cole album mm-hmm. and we're talking and I'm proper into it and I'm thinking he's into it. But really all he was doing was he was trying to distract me while he went through my phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um on the system. And then he turns down the music and he's like, right, um, I'm gonna tell you this because I wanna give you an opportunity, but I've just gone through your phone and I've taken out every number um, in your phone 
that I don't recognize with a name I don't recognize. And I'm gonna phone these people if you don't tell me who you've been dating. Um, what? Yeah. And in that moment, I just felt like I've known that things are not right, mm. but this was a big manifestation of it. And the cognitive dissonance that I think a lot of women face um, in black relationships, especially black relationships, um, especially when you have no, when when you haven't had a dad, you haven't really seen a healthy relationship between like a adult man and an adult woman. You might think that something like what my ex has done is a manifestation of his like love yeah, and yeah. like he's just so hurt, yep. or, you know, but it's madness. Yep. Like it's out and out madness. And um, so that happened and I had a very emotional reaction. I was proper crying. I was like, you know, what are you doing? Like, this is mad, like this is mm. abuse. And he was just like, no, it's because I love you so much and I'm so hurt and I need to know what you're doing. And I was just like, but I'm telling you with my mouth mm. like what I'm doing, but you just don't believe me. And um, it was so mad. And the thing is, this is this is the soundtrack to our life, mm. basically, or to our relationship. Um, that happened. I'm crying. I'm like confused. I'm hurt. He's in his own mad space. And then he pulls up at a beautiful restaurant and is like, come, let's go and get something to eat. <laughs> And I'm sitting in this restaurant and I'm just like, yeah. this is madness. Yeah. Like it's genuine madness. And um, on this occasion, I was just like, I just looked at him at the table. I didn't pick up the menu. And he's reading the menu, talking to the waiter and I'm just looking at him. And then he looks at me because obviously he can feel my eyes. And he's like, what's wrong? Like, oh, look at the menu. I said, nah, nah, you're mad. Like this restaurant, I'd wanted to go to it for a very long time as well. And I was just like, you really think that after all of that, I want to be yeah, in this yeah. restaurant with you. Yeah. So he storms out and gives me his car keys and he's just storming down the road. And I'm trying to speak to him and he's just not hearing it. He's telling me to leave him alone take the car, do what you want. I don't care, just leave me alone. So I'm sitting in the car and it's, I'm just like, do I go, do I not? Like, I know I should just go. Like I should literally mm. put the keys wherever the fuck, leave the man's car and go about my business. Cause it's not my business. Your madness isn't my business. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to phone him, he's airing my calls. It was just a whole cycle of manipulation to the point where I'm now in the park looking for him and I'm sitting on grass and I'm trying to console him mm. when you've just done a madness to me, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like that switch is what now brings like balance. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to say balance because it's not balance, it's madness, mm. but it's just like, now he's now the roles have reversed and I'm no like he's made it so that I am no longer the victim. He is the victim. Yeah. Um now I now he can get me to do what he wants to do, which is to go and get something to eat. 
and to just be cool and have a good time, which is what ends up happening. And then we go to like his family friends, like birthday or some rubbish. And we're just there having a good time and dancing and doing, being us basically. Yeah. And everyone's just there and everyone's happy to see us and everyone's, you know, we're even the center of attention, like dancing, you know, perf- doing performative love, yeah. performative black love. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> Listen, and um, by the next day, I was completely depleted. Um, I don't think I got out of my bed. And something just told me to contact the woman, the author that we had the um, interview yeah. with. And I told her the situation and um, she was like, it's abuse. Mm. I'll tell you that for free. Um, She worked for the probation services and she ran like a, I think like a campaign on domestic abuse. And um, she was just like, I don't know everything, but this sounds like an abuse situation. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you need to really ask yourself a lot of questions about this situation and this relationship. And long story short, even though it's been a long bloody story, <laughs> um, that prompted me to seek a therapist because as much as I knew that it was a big part of my mind, knew that I was in, a, un, in an unhealthy situation, I just couldn't reconcile in my mind that this person was now going to be out of my life, basically. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of emotional like issues that I had to deal with um, and why I was drawn to the toxicity yeah. and the up and down and the traumatic bond that I had with this person. Um, this all had to be reconciled because it was, as I said, it was stopping me from pursuing the things that I needed to pursue. So, yeah, that's why I sought therapy. Cool. So that's a lot. Um, it's a lot, and it's so interesting as well because I think, and I think this is I don't know maybe I don't know I'm maybe I'm projecting here, but I do think that it is kind of uh, if you're from the ends, you've got a story as to why you've sought therapy. Mm. Whereas I think uh, a lot of my kind of same middle class white colleagues that are in therapy, the story would not have been that like there's layers there's layers and it and it goes back and not to say that um different people from different demographics don't have their own and don't have their own layers but i'm not sure if it's that as kind of like what's that word like as like in your face as, as some of our experiences mm, intense or poignant yeah poignant yeah. yeah that's it um so for me like i said i've been in and out of therapy for do you know what can i be honest so a part of my like trauma is I don't have a good memory. So that like, my childhood is very much a blur. I remember specific events. I don't remember the like chronological order of those events. I don't remember like I don't even yeah, so something someone can fully cut like I can say something here and then I don't know, someone in my family might listen to it and bet nah, it didn't happen like that, it happened somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open to being corrected because my brain, I feel like a lot of my childhood is just a blur. Um, and I feel like I've created my own narrative in order to like, in order to feel sane, I've created my own narrative. Um, but what I do remember very specifically 
is the events that led to me kind of being in therapy. Um, so yeah, so I remember, um, so in childhood, like I was in and out of therapy. So my dad passed away when I was six. Um, and I was particularly close to my dad before he died. And being Nigerian, I feel like, and my mum, so my dad had a first family and then my family. And um, at the point of his death, he was married to my mum with my mum, mm. separated from his first wife. But culturally, um, things are not accepted in that way. So culturally, my mum is the second wife and he has a first wife and the first family. And so when my dad died, there was stuff around his body, like who's, who gets to bury him, basically. Mm. And his first family basically got the body and were able to... He was buried in Nigeria and were able to take him home. And eventually... Like, and my mum was just deciding, basically, treated like deciding. And... I remember, I don't remember, like, I just remember being around this kind of stuff. Mm. And I remember, like, the impact it had on my mum. So what I remember clearly was the difference between who my mum was before my dad passed and who my mum was after my dad passed and the impact of, like, not getting to bury her husband yeah. properly um, or in the way. And that, and also, like, just different, like, so that different... Um, so we had two wakekeepings, um What's that? It's like a nine-night. Okay. Yeah, so we had two separate ones. So they had their one, and then we had ours in in farm Broadwater Farm Hall. Des was in one hall in Hackney, I think. And so like, and obviously, my dad knows the same people. So it just it was just clear. There was just a clear kind of divide. Um. So for me, in my head and in my kind of version of events as to what has led me to be in therapy, that was the start of of the trauma, and just experiencing that and being around that. And then, yeah, I think in primary school, um, I was referred to a therapist. I think I was just, I wasn't even badly behaved, but I think I was just a little bit, like, weird. And I think teachers could kind of see that something wasn't quite right. So I remember seeing a therapist in school or counsellor in school in primary, but I can't really, like, what it is, what it is. And you just know, you know the drill. So black families, you know, you don't speak your business outside of the home. So mm -hmm. you go, you nod, you smile, you <laughs> be polite, me. you go home mm -hmm. um, and you deal with it. And it's only kind of like now, kind of as an adult, looking at my childhood, like we grew up in like extreme levels of poverty, mm -hmm. um, that like abnormal levels of poverty. Yeah. Um, and it, my mum my mum is like really lovely so my mum would always particularly me and I was just spoiled and just like spoiled so I had things like material things I did have the trainers that other people were wearing I did have like things but like legit there's no heating yeah. or you can't put the heating on yeah. this or what what are you talking about mm -hmm. or you're eating food that has been in the freezer that was cooked two weeks ago but yeah. you and just like certain things that are like now I'm like, right, that's not normal. Yeah. Um, and that's not kind of a healthy way to raise and nurture a child. So like, I feel like that, that was that. And then in secondary school, <laughs> um, so I was, so, and in childhood, I was um, sexually abused uh, multiple times by multiple people. 
And again, this is all going. Do you know what I mean? So these things are happening, like traumatic things are happening. Is that from like um, childminders, basically? No. So from family. So um, from family members. Okay. So yeah, like people entrusted. With, yeah, people entrusted yeah. in my care. Like yeah. yeah, I was entrusted in their care. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and so just yeah, things are things are going on in childhood that. Like, that I'm mad that are not normal but yeah. it was my norm mm-hmm. and actually I out, around that stuff had a very happy childhood so like yeah had a good relationship with my brothers my mum is the sweetest person in the world so did everything to make sure that we were cool um so yeah traumatic childhood um secondary school I tried to commit suicide when I was in year eight, I think. Um, and it was over something very stupid. So it was over some boy. But, um, so the trigger was some boy. Mm. And not even like the boy. <laughs> <laughs> but just some boy. But it was so dumb. But that was the trigger. But even then, like it was a very real attempt. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't about, I like at the time I knew this is not about this boy. Mm. This is not about this one situation that I'm currently crying over. This is like for many, many years I have not wanted to be alive. Yeah. So for as and so what year eight, you're twelve thirteen. Mm-hmm. And at twelve thirteen I was clear on the fact that I do not want to be alive. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. I don't want to be alive. So that happened and so again you get referred to counselling you do the same thing you nod you smile you know what to say to not make yourself look psychotic or to yeah. not show up your family and then your six weeks or whatever it is mm-hmm. is is done and then mm-hmm. you go back to school and whatever and in secondary school I was just badly behaved like I was just I wasn't I was just mad like now that I look back at it I was just that girl in school mm-hmm. that is just throwing chairs at teachers uh, what was I not doing? What was I and that and to give some context, I went to the first secondary school I went to was like a, a convent. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. So it was extremely strict, mm-hmm. extremely white middle class. Just they just don't know how to deal with this behavior mm. because they're looking at you like, what? Who are you? Who is this <laughs> demon? What are you like? Why is okay? You're upset. Why are you throwing the chair? Like, yeah. and even me, I'm looking at myself because it was performance. It was performance because mm. um. I wasn't, it was performance. Like, I just got away with what I could get away with. Mm. Like, I told one Muslim teacher, she's a suicide bomber. I, like, I just was doing madness. Like, you know when you're going extreme? Yeah. Like, it's not your normal answering back. It was yeah. just extreme madness. Mm-hmm. And now, again, as someone that works with young people and being able to look back, I'm really able to see that I was just out crying. Like, I, yeah. I needed someone to recognise me and recognise my pain. I was wearing my pain outwardly and how that the kind of framework as a working class black girl, the framework that I had for that was to be violent. Yeah. To like that was the framework that I had. That was what was kind of um what I saw around me as an acceptable um outpour of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just outpouring and outpouring and outpouring and never learned to self-regulate, was never taught to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I feel that thing, boom, 
and I'm I'm gone. Yeah. Um and I'm I'm gone to whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And again, so it's like you've touched on similar to you. So I feel like being so toxic inside of myself and being and that coming from the toxic environment that I was raised in. Um, I attracted toxic people yeah. and toxic relationships, mm-hmm. which further, again, and things were just normalised. So, like, the, the my ex, the love of my whole life, <laughs> um, was just out here doing madness. Um, like, just really doing madness. But it was just normal. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, you slept with my best friend. Okay, cool. Or you've... Or, like you're doing your I'm carrying your knife in my bra the bra that I shouldn't even be wearing because I don't even have the full breast yet but I'm just carrying it for you because that's there we're just doing this is what we're out here doing and this is like again this is the framework for the the environment that I'm around the people that I'm around this is very normal and actually because I've always been quite intelligent and quite mature for my age I could kind of frame it in a way that I wasn't, I definitely wasn't, um, I don't know, I definitely wasn't that girl. Like, I wasn't the dickhead, do you yeah. know what I mean? So I was definitely not like, within the setup, I had, there was, it was, there was respect. Yeah. Quote unquote, <laughs> respect. And quote just, unquote, yeah, indeed. yeah, exactly. And just in a toxic environment, toxic environment. And then when I was, in year 10 by this point I was in a new secondary school and actually just changing trying to change anyway and um I was raped by someone an adult that I trusted Mm. um and then I went to therapy again and now I'm as an adult I'm looking back and I know that like people are mad because a 15 year old child coming into and by 15 like I'm old enough now to to hold my own and to to have dialogue mm-hmm. yeah and I'm coming into your counseling session and you're moving host you the therapist are moving hostile mm. and you the therapist have, have clearly have no concept of my environment mm-hmm. if I even begin to explain and you're not even attempting to, like, beyond... I'm giving you the same yes, no, nod, and you're allowing me to do it. Mm. And, like, now having ha- had my therapist now, who, yeah, who is an amazing therapist, a black woman, mm-hmm. um, I, I can I can really just see the difference mm-hmm. between what I experienced as a child and what I experienced growing up. Mm. Um... So, yeah, so, like, and from that point... And then, like, I was just... This whole, like, suicide thing just became, like... It was just the thing. And it's really interesting because um, I don't know if people know that about me. So even some of my, like, closest friends, I don't know... I know that there is a handful of people that know that as recent as 2017, mm-hmm. I um, have been just out here <laughs> trying to commit suicide mm-hmm. every other year or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, since being in therapy, I can see that I don't actually want to die. But I have lived with like extreme levels of pain, Mm. extreme levels of like emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want to feel that pain anymore. So if I could like continue living my life and erase that pain... Would I? And my brother asked me this. Chisholm, hold tight, don't know. Um, he <laughs> asked me this a couple, like after that 
attempt he was like do you want to die or do you just want to stop being in pain mm. and it was the latter like I don't actually want to die I love my life I love living I'm lively and it's very interesting because I'm like on b- both extremes I'm either like I'm done with this or mm-hmm. I like seize life hold life love life mm-hmm. um so yeah so so 2017 had a had um which was my last um attempt and that within that there's just been bare things like just so much like today is not the day to, I won't be able to get it all out yeah. um but um yeah so 2017 was my last attempt and I after that I just actively sought therapy mm-hmm. so I think it was really helpful that I feel that mental health is becoming more of a buzz and more of a thing where that we're discussing in the black community um and yeah just kind of being more open to that conversation and um talking to people that have that I've have been in therapy and they're like yeah it's cool and there's the black um therapy network and just kind of being more exposed yeah. to different types of therapy oh before that sorry even before that I was doing CBT so before the last test I I went to my doctor I was like yeah this I'm not functioning I'm mm. not actually coping and so they referred me to CBT which in my view was trash it just did not work okay. um but Again, I think I had so much stuff that CBT, I think, is for people that are, that have a very specific need and they're kind of more stable and able to work through that specific need. Mm. Um, So, yeah, after that, after that last attempt, I was just actively seeking therapy, therapy. Um, And I was just getting rejected. So I went to... I've, I tried to see three different therapists and counsellors and um, they were like, nah. so I went to a consultation that you pay for <laughs> and they were like, nah, sorry, like you've got too much stuff, I'm not qualified enough. or And it was always that kind of nice, like whatever, but then just getting that rejection was enough of madness for me because oh, it was yeah. like, I'm actually unfixable. I'm mm. actually not able to the level of stuff that I'm dealing with, um, no one, like, it's not fixable. Mm. I may as well just finish my life because there's no point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came to the service that I'm with now. Again, and again, I was I was convinced that I'm going to go private um, for two reasons. The first one being that I knew within myself, if I am collecting my money to pay for this, I am going to commit to this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one being... Um, NHS, there are just long waiting lists. There are like, I know that there's lim- a limit on the amount of sessions that you you are able to access, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, you know what? I know what I'm dealing with is going to be a very long-term process mm-hmm. of healing and a long journey. I need to commit to it. So I'm looking for these therapists, getting rejected. And I just remember one day, like, and my depression is weird because... So I'm saying this and it's, it even feels mad that people are going to hear this because I feel like, am I even talking about me? Like, because I am so bubbly and outgoing on the other, like, on the other hand, mm. when I'm not kind of trapped in that depressed state. Mm. Um, and so just living with it and just learning how to like perform. Mm. 
Like, so just come out and just do your thing, but then go home and something else. And on the days you can't get out, just turn your phone off. You mm. can't get out today. Um, and just stay in your bed and cry and whatever it is you need mm. to do. Um, so I remember this therapy, like calling up this, these people, and this was the last, this, I'd already said to myself, this is it. Like, mm. if I can't, if they can't see me, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling them and the woman, the poor receptionist, yeah, the way I was just crying on the phone, I was just like weeping and weeping. I was like, cause she, she literally just called me to be like, yeah, we got your online, whatever. Mm. Your consultation date is this date, mm. come. Mm. I'm meant to say, thank you. I'll see you next week yeah. and go about my business. And I was just weeping. I was like, I have tried everything i've been on and off antidepressants i've gone to this consultation i've gone to four i was like if you think you can't see me tell me now Mm. i can't come and do another consultation Mm. and get rejected Mm. like i can't deal with it Mm -hmm. and the woman think like she was really lovely and she just stayed on the phone with me and she was just like nah like there will be someone here it might take longer Mm -hmm. i'm not even gonna lie to you if you're saying that you've got a lot of stuff if you're saying you've been rejected by different counsellors, then I'm not going to pretend that it will, like everyone is able mm-hmm. to do it. But I can guarantee that there will be someone here that can see mm-hmm. you. Um, and then I went to my consultation, which wasn't with my therapist. It was with a middle-class white woman. Okay. And even walking into the room, I'm triggered because I'm remembering my childhood yeah. and she just looked like them. Mm. And, she, and to be honest, I don't know, like she might have she could have very possibly been able to to counsel me or whatever but I was just triggered and Mm. I was just closed and Mm -hmm. but one thing I was I was honest about the fact that I want a black therapist Mm -hmm. so I was like I I don't want to see you I want to see a black therapist Mm -hmm. um a black woman particularly um preferably a woman of faith um because I feel like something as well I remember one time when I was young and I was in therapy and I was like going through a real Christian phase and um I was like, yeah, but God will whatever. And I remember like feeling like the woman was looking at me like I'm mad, mm. um, just saying the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, th- these are individuals. So I'm not saying that all white female therapists are are going to be like this, mm-hmm. but just in my experience. Mm-hmm. And, and again, to be honest, it might have even just been my own interpretation. So they might not have, she might not have even looked at me sideways, but how I felt was that, I can't bring my entire self into the room. Mm-hmm. So I, and I said this in my consultation, I was like, I want a black woman, um, preferably a black woman of faith so that she can, like, so that when I mention God, you're not looking at me like I'm mad. Um, and when I men- mention spirit and you're not looking at me like, or you're not trying to sidestep that one yeah. and get to the root. Cause for me, the root is spirit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, and that, cause, and cause I was paying for it. I also felt that confidence to be able to, now be demanding what I what I need. Yeah. And yeah, and then um they got back to me not long after and um so this is by like yeah, they got back to me towards the end of last year, um, and we set in a date for me to see my therapist and like the journey has been the journey ever since. Mm. And she is a black woman of Somali Kenyan descent. Um she's kind of um she's an old like middle-aged maybe late 30s early 40s i don't to be honest that like, she could be anywhere between late 30s and early 50s okay um i actually don't know her age mm-hmm. um and 
she's a Muslim woman um, and my journey with her has been transformational, really, really transformational. Um, and I think partly that like, a lot of it is down to her and her skill as a therapist. Like there was, so because I'm quite analytical and because I've really analyzed my trauma and understand my trauma, and have understood it actually from 14, 15, which is why from 40, from that age, I'm out here trying to kill myself because in my head it's like, what this is, what I understand this to be, can't be dealt with. Mm. So there's no point. Um, it can't be dealt with mm. uh, beyond divine intervention from God to literally yeah. come and, which is not how I believe God works. So it's not gonna be dealt with. Um, and I understood that from a young age. So coming in with her and like, so coming in with her, I've come in, I'm kind of telling her like, oh yeah, so I've analysed this and I feel that da, 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 and this experience led to this and that. And she's just looking at me and then she will just get to, okay, how do you feel? So she always took me from thought to feeling. She always took me from like, okay, you've analysed that and you've kind of articulated it very well. How did it make you feel? And I think in exploring my emotions towards some of the things I've gone through with her, that's really supported me. So she, And she's amazing to be able to identify and cut past my shit. So when I'm, when I'm coming to you as, oh, I'm so together, she's just looking at me and she's able to just look at me. Um, whereas I feel like there are some therapists that may have fallen for the fact that I know what I'm, I'm okay or I'm coming in here presenting in a certain way. And she's used really practical techniques for that. So for example, when we first started in therapy, we'd sit in down on chairs and then she, some like a couple months in, she was like, "No, we need to change the room. You need to lie on the couch." And it was like proper movie, like American, yeah. what you see in the movies. <laughs> and I'm just like, "What are you doing?" And the first couch session, I'm not bad. The first time I cried in therapy, because it just like psychologically something happens. You're more vulnerable when you're lying down. Yeah. And like, so her knowing those kind of things, those kind of techniques that will support me. Um, but then also I, I have to give credit to myself in that um, I came ready. I really, so this year, I came into this year with the belief that I am not leaving this year in the same bin that I found myself mm. starting it in, <laughs> that I'm not, I am I am going to, and not to say that, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm miraculously healed or I'm going to um, not have depression at all or whatever, but I'm going to be able to function better. Mm. And, and that is, yeah, I'm going to be able to function better. And so I'm committed to these sessions. So even sessions where I can't be bothered or where I'm feeling guarded, no, you dig, you go, because... You're pay- number one, you're paying big money for this. Yeah. And number two, you have decided, you've you've committed to your healing, so heal. Um, so yeah, long story. But yeah, that's how I got into therapy. Um, I feel like you touched on um, like your therapist, who she is and stuff like that. Um, so my therapist, black woman but Caribbean mm. of Caribbean descent and she is she's 53 or 54 um but her methods of therapy is not and I call it therapy specifically it's not counseling yep. like it's therapy yep. and the standpoint 
she kind of comes from is very spiritual mm. and very much delving deep inside um, people that come and see her and getting them to understand that they need to love, like basically foundationally, it's all love. Yeah. Like, and it's a lack of love that puts us on a trajectory to the point that we feel the depression, yeah. the anxiety um, that attracts us to toxic people, that has us in toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like she's trying to like, basically recalibrate me. Okay. She's almost trying to press the reset button on yeah. me and all of the things I think about myself. Yeah because she believes that foundationally that's what's guiding me through mm-hmm. my life, mm-hmm. my innate thoughts and my addiction and my attraction to toxic people <coughs> is, it's a, it's a toxic, yeah, it's a toxic trait of mine, basically, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. getting involved with toxic people, whether it's a friendship or a relationship, being very close to them, cleaving to them almost. Um, I need them, I need their toxicity and they need my lack of toxicity, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm bonded to them in like a very traumatic way. Um, But yeah, it's weird because, so I came and I was just like, yeah, like this, the, like this guy, he did this and he did that. And I wanted a black woman and I wanted somebody independent because I felt like some of the things I'd be talking about would be like, I don't know how a white middle-class professional woman or a white middle-class professional man or even a black but middle-class professional counsellor would take what I'm saying. Yeah. What... um what are you binded by in terms of law yeah say that again in terms of law and if i'm legally i've had that thing (laughs) listen that's the first thing well one of the first things i said when i spoke to her over the phone i was like i don't know what your like professional responsibilities are but you can't find (laughs) you can't be finding a piece or be telling me right like we need to make a police report Yeah. yeah nah um, so that was part of my issue as well. But I kept going to her, like, the guy, like, he did this, he did that, I've been through this, I've been through that, I've seen this, I've seen that. Just mad, just all of the madness. And for so many sessions, I just feel like she was just nodding her head at me and she was just looking at me. She was just like, okay, but what about your parents? Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> fuck them. Like, they're mad, but fuck mm-hmm. them. Like, they're fine. I've been dealing with their madness. <laughs> since I was born um, it's the man <laughs> she was just like it's not the man <laughs> it's not the man in it um, it's your foundational relationships that that for, like, form you mm-hmm. and form the woman that you're gonna be mm-hmm. and the things you're gonna engage in basically and um, the thing is like as I, I really love and respect my therapist, even like on my acknowledgements for my thesis, um, I've acknowledged her 
Um, and I wrote one line for my mum and this woman has like <laughs> a good few lines, yeah. you know, of thanks because genuinely without her, I couldn't have made it through. But I am really thinking about what my therapist represents. Um, and just as you were saying as well, as you were saying that you're a very analytical person. And I think being intelligent is a really, it's a curse. It's a like, It's such a curse. Mm. Because before I even went to see her, the way I had researched, I knew like what I had passed through. Mm-hmm. I knew like my ex, you know, a lot of his pathologies, like his cluster B personality type. I don't care what anyone has to say. I'm not even wishing bad or talking bad mm-hmm. on anyone's you, but Donny is mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had all of this information that I was loaded with, but just as you say, like, just being able to conceptualise how I feel and express it. And that's it. End of sentence, Jade. It, mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't need to go on as like, yeah, so I feel this way. And so therefore, yeah. no, leave the therefore. Like, just mm-hmm. close your mouth and cry, yeah. you know, and feel and acknowledge how you're feeling. And I don't even think I've ever done that. Bef- I've never done that before. Everything has been rationalizing, conceptualizing, understanding, and once you understand, okay, now you can move on. But you're not like mm-hmm. you're being bogged down by all of the pain and the trauma that you've passed through mm-hmm. in in all of your life. And as much as the relationship was traumatic, I feel like my coping mechanism is just failing me now, basically. Um, because as much as the relationship was terrible um it's not the first terrible thing i've passed through in my life which was also what kind of like for me like for fuck's sake like this is just a relationship it was only it was less than five years um it was up and down anyway like just come on pick up like Mm -hmm. you've lost worse um you've lost more important people to you you've you know like a lot of like your life has been you could write a book, you know, mm, like you can mm. write a book, you can write an engaging book, you could write a book <laughs> that people wouldn't even believe, you know, mm-hmm. already. So why can you not pick up and just understand what's happened, what this person was doing, what they are, who you are and go your way. But I definitely think that it's that whole not being able to come to terms with how I'm actually genuinely feeling. Um, that's just, yeah, holding me back. And I feel like ther- therapy is being a gate is providing a gateway for me to, as I say, recalibrate and just go back to ba- like go back to my foundation. Yeah, yeah, like the foundation you need to be at as a human, kind of thing, um, which doesn't necessitate like being book smart and being able to assess and analyze yep. and you know read like ten thousand psychology books or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but yeah and I think the other thing is being in that environment or being in that space and repeating my story so yeah we have I know that with with this therapist we have touched the iceberg like we have not even really like in terms of like the long my life from from day one till and even on this point I've really held back so much um and not for holding back fate, just because I I can I can really be here for four hours mm. and we can really be here talking about mental health and it's for me it's not even just me it's like my family and all of that but um being in that space and hearing my mouth say some of the things 
and you're like, and then hearing it back to you. So I feel like living it and knowing it, I've I've been raped multiple times. My dad passed. My mum was sectioned. My boyfriend is was mad. My boyfriend was getting stabbed. My my friends are getting stabbed on bottled and shot. This is like, and then you you're saying these things, and then. Even just for and that a technique, I know because again I've researched. I know that one of the techniques that um ther- used in therapy is repeating things back to people. Mm. So so I will say, um and when I was, when I was um fifteen I got raped, and then my therapist said, okay, so when you were fifteen you got raped, and hearing those words and it's disarming mm-hmm. because you're you're. For me, my narrative or my, like, the story I've created around myself, which is, like, it's meant to go in a certain way and it's meant to be told in a certain voice, to hear someone else's voice repeat back to me the extreme levels of trauma is disarming. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's disarming. And so I think, for me, that's what therapy has done. It's disarmed Mm. me. It's It's got beyond... It's it's got beyond like what I think or what I know. It's got to like what I've felt, what I have lived with, what I continue to live with. Um, oh, brother, I better come back from Nigeria and find a new therapist, you know. This is the thing. As much as like, I just, when you messaged me yesterday, I was sitting there, I was even a bit drunk. Um, when you messaged me um, but I was just like on my calendar and I was just like the thing is when I'm drunk I'm bare like I'm be- I believe in myself more than when I'm sober <laughs> <laughs> so I just was like yeah no but she's going to Nigeria so mm. it, it it this makes sense in my head like mm. yeah you know you're going to Nigeria like you're gonna go something's gonna happen there um, or you're gonna something's gonna change. There's gonna be a shift there. Nigeria represents something, and there's not gonna be any use for your old therapist. This is why. Mm-hmm. Like I was just convinced. I was like, yeah, this is why. I'd even just put my phone down, resume drinking, like, because <laughs> I was just yeah that like I just rationalized it with quickness kind of thing. But um, now I'm obviously sober. Um, I just pray that that is genuinely way is that there is a shift mm. you know that Nigeria is going to represent a shift for you in in the time that you're there mm. um yeah yeah um so just to round up um what would you for someone that's kind of looking to get into therapy or thought about it or not but needs it what would you advise them um, I personally think so touching on what I said um, very close to the beginning which was that I feel like a lot of black men and women um, live an existence that is very far from normal mm-hmm. um, and so for that reason I feel like black people should seek therapy mm-hmm. Um there were a lot of things that I that I passed through as a young person, like as a child, as a, as an adolescent, um, that was not normal at all. Um, it just wasn't normal. 
and I didn't understand the ramifications on my emotional health or even mentally. Um, but when I got into the relationship with my ex, I felt like I watched in front of me, like how black families operate. And if I ever decided to pick up books again, um, or if I had the privilege of being able to like pick up studying and, um, I always say that I would love to study like psychology and I would love to study nutrition. But if I just made the choice that I was studying psychology, genuinely my ex's family and their experiences, including him, it would basically be my case study Mm. for like a thesis that I kind of imagine in some far part of my mind. Mm. And that is like how... Like we, okay, we might come and we might say like, you'll say I'm Nigerian. Mm-hmm. I sometimes, less so now, but especially when I was younger, yeah, I'm Jamaican and Trinidadian. Um, but I feel like living in this society, we are a version of our Jamaicanness, mm. our Nigerianness. Mm. you know, we're a version of it. Um, for example, Jamaicans are very hardworking people and... Um, they're very much like, they're quite religious as well. Mm. So if you go to Jamaica, you'll see a lot of signs like um, God loves me, God loves you, like stuff like that. But um, there's almost like a subculture that has existed in this society among Jamaicans that is not necessarily very godly and is not hardworking, basically. Mm. Um, So I feel like that's just a, I'm just saying that to like give... um, some base to what I'm try- basically trying to say that when we cross the water, our existence changes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. our existences are very different. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel like we're living a fulfilling life um, a lot of the time mm-hmm. in this society as black people. Um, but going back to my ex and his family, um, I saw a lot of things and they're not things that, oh yeah, people were being raped. No, like it wasn't things like that. But the things that I was seeing was even just like the house is cold mm. um, and there's young children in the house. I just remember feeling like this house isn't cozy. Mm. Like there's nothing homely about this house. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people in and out of the house, but it wasn't even on a like, oh, mum's friends are coming over at 4 p.m. or, oh, my sister's friends are, are going to come after school and then they're going to go home. Um, They're coming, like, they're going to do homework. No, it was literally, like, everyone's bridging mm-hmm. is in the yard. Mm-hmm. And it's a back and forth thing, like... It's just back and forth. Like, the the front door was, like, a rotating door, basically, and it was every single day. Mm-hmm. So it it couldn't even be a thing where, like the mum is going to cook or the big sister's going to cook and she even knows how many people, she even knows how many people she's going to be cooking for because there's just a rotating door of people in Mm -hmm. and out of the house constantly. Um, So it was all of these things that I noticed that were just like, there's no way that you can be healthy adults living in these circumstances, basically. Um, but that's their existence. And unfortunately, I se- I feel very demonic saying this, but I'm going to be very real as well. Like, 
I don't feel like they put themselves in spaces whereby they can genuinely be like, this is not normal. Yeah. And this is something I need to heal from. Yeah. I need to unlearn what's been normalised in me. Um, and so I feel like we need to normalise therapy in the black community because I feel like we're in, a lot of us are in spaces and in places whereby we don't even know that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like if I, if I hadn't done my master's or embarked on my master's, I don't think I would have sought therapy in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have come in my 30s, maybe after having children or a child. And mm-hmm. I would have noticed like, I'm finding it hard to even motivate myself to get up mm-hmm. and look after this child. Mm-hmm. Or I'm finding it hard to live for this child, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but prior to that, it was genuinely trying to pursue a normal life, like a simple ac- academic endeavor that I just felt like I can't do this. Yeah. That well, it's pushed not simple me. though, to be fair. But, yeah. <laughs> but okay, but an academic in- because the thing is, even when I was doing my first degree, I struggled. Mm. But I would never let it be known that I was struggling. Yeah. I was in my bed so much, like, people just thought I was stush. They thought I was bare stush and bare Christian (laughs) at uni. But really, I was just probably suffering from severe depression and anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I feel like me trying to pursue, like, a normal life um, or pursue the things that my middle-class counterparts have like just in front of them and that they're you know it's a buffet for like a mm. master's degree you know yeah. i'm trying to pursue i'm trying to now come and take my my Your load the from the buffet yeah. and i can't swallow it because you know everything is just fuck up fuck up you mm-hmm. know inside of me internally mm-hmm. so that's what led me to therapy and i just feel like we will improve our lives as black people if we're more open to the idea of therapy yeah but yeah yeah i i agree i think that um basically i think that cuz it's a, it's a you when you said the thing about crossing the water yeah that really hit me because I don't even think that that's necessarily a class thing. I think we exist, like we experience trauma. We have experienced trauma. When your teacher cannot pronounce your name and everyone's laughing at you, that is a thought, like those things are that's traumatizing. And I feel like as a community, we go through a lot. And that even like, I remember the visceral impact that um, Sandra Bland, I was in Nigeria when Sandra Bland was killed. Okay. So I wasn't even in this part of the world, mm-hmm. but I remember like rushing to find Wi-Fi to keep up with the story to see what's going on. And like the visceral pain that I felt yeah. for a African-American woman yeah. when I am not even in the West, I'm in, no, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like Eric Garner, like weeping. Yeah. Like, and so these are things that are like, I don't I feel like we as a people have experienced a lot and based on that are likely to be a little bit do you know what I mean need a little bit extra support to uh, to unravel some of these microaggressions that mm. we're facing at work every day to unravel some of the kind of complexes we have around our identity beauty like and so yeah I would encourage anyone 
like so you don't need to have that i feel like both of our stories are quite almost extreme almost don't me hearing you it's normal you hearing me it's normal Mm. but i think generally speaking it's not um it's not necessarily the normal really though is like really though like really though because i used to think that Mm. but now i think so okay for example i'm like yeah we're being real here in it like let's mm. not i'm not even gonna try and do prim and proper okay like <laughs> my dad's um had had has i don't know had like a severe drug problem like a man was smoking crack in it and um just doing a madness on the street for as from as young as i can remember i can remember being scared of my dad and my mum just trying to be like calm basically mm-hmm. for the both for all of us for the both of us really and truly um but when i look at his generation so that that's probably like my first like traumatic experiences like mm-hmm. see seeing severe mental health problems um you know drug addiction okay yeah all of that but looking at my dad's generation of black men who were like first generation. Mm-hmm. So they were like, he was born here. He, yeah. he was the first of his brothers and sisters to be born in, in London, in England. Um, and like, you're the first generation of kids to be inserted into the school system. So many of his generation are fucked. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. so many of them ended up on drugs, yeah. um, leaving the family, leaving the family home or having several families mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. So for me, I genuinely feel like how how extreme, mm-hmm. how extreme is it? So I think that hearing you is interesting. I think that there is definitely um, in that uh, cultural difference. Mm. So I think when I think about the experience of Africans coming over and the experience of Caribbean people coming over, I do think that they that there is a nuance there Definitely. that is different. Mm. I do think coming crossing the water for so I'm first generation, so my mum's born raised in Nigeria, um, as are all like most of my cousins' parents, etc. Um their fucked upness is different. Mm. It looks different. Mm. So I feel like crossing the water and being here and being raised and raising children here their fucked upness is very, very present. Mm. It just looks very different. Um, And also, I think, so, and then take the cultural element out of it and put class into it. I think, despite you being from a Caribbean background, me being from an African background, we crossed paths. And I think our our worlds were, were, they crossed paths, the kind of working class black British environment. Mm. Um, which is a melting pot, which has created its own fucked upness. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. Our parents, when they came or when they were raising us, um, were not knifing each other on the street, and that was not the thing for them. Mm. Whereas for us, it was very every party you went to between. I went to between the ages of thirteen to seventeen. Someone's getting shot, mm. stabbed, pepper sprayed, bottled. Mm-hmm. Violence was just very real mm-hmm. and accessible mm-hmm. and. Um, that's another thing. So there's layers to our stuff, um, but then I think that that is one that is one black British experience because I've got friends that think I'm mad. Mm. <laughs> I've got a lot of friends that think I am very mad, mm. and that think that when I speak about some of these things, are you telling the truth? Mm. 
because what do you mean? I had one friend the other day, um, one of my good friends actually, and the other day she was like, yeah, <laughs> it's not even funny, but she was like, yeah, in year 11, something, 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 talk about Starbucks. And basically, her and her people were, were revising in Starbucks mm. um, in Year 11. And that was not my experience mm. of Year 11. Mm-hmm. Like, we were not revising in Starbucks. <laughs> um, she even called it Bucks. She even called it Bucks. Um, yeah, she's a fool. She knows who she is. I'm not even going to put her name on here because she's trying to do big things in her life. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so like, and like her experience growing up and despite having like, despite people having kind of their own stuff, so not saying that people don't have their own stuff, mm. they have their own stuff, but coming from more stable environments, okay. um, mm. but still having their own stuff mm. and still dealing with like, I think there are things that are coming from the home, then there are things that are projected onto us as well. So um, still dealing with like microaggressions, um, kind of westernized beauty standards, etc 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 so i think therapy is just a space for all people with all the experiences to look at themselves and look at the parts of themselves that they're not happy with and actually deal with them mm-hmm. so not learn to cope so not like oh i can juggle everything mm-hmm. um in, in my therapist in our first session spoke about my basket and how in my basket i've got bare things that like there's just everything is in this basket and mm-hmm. the point of therapy being to un- offload the basket and refill it with things that i want in my basket okay. as opposed to what most people do which is learning how to continue carrying this overflowing mm-hmm. basket take some shit out um so yeah that would be my word my word is like for people to engage with the process if like like reach out to us talk to us if you want to learn a bit more or figure out a bit more about our experiences with it um but it's not you don't have to have gone through hell and back for your experience um for you to kind of seek help and seek support definitely most definitely but yeah um just to reiterate like you can get in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to know a little bit more or just, yeah, just maybe think out loud, basically, about the idea of going to therapy um, or seeking it. But yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs>